turn in your Bibles, your own Bibles or the Pew Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. If you're using the smaller Pew Bibles, that's on page 981. And as you're turning there, two things. One, thank you for your your prayers uh, for Lynn and me. I've received a good report from my most recent PET scan. And uh, second thing, just grateful for uh, the ministry of our our deacons and elders here at uh, Hope Church and um, godly men who who love the Lord and but continue to be praying too last thing for uh, the pastoral search committee but here uh, God's word uh, Philippians chapter 3 verses verse 1 read through the sixth verse But hear the word of God. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law a Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Let me go ahead and read verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. For the sake of Christ. Amen to this reading of God's holy and divinely inspired and errant and fallible word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we, we do thank you for the word of God. Thank you that it is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path to, to lead us to Christ. We thank you as well that your word graciously guards us against uh, the temptations of sin, Lord. We, we thank you that the word of God is used of you to um, grow us, Father, in, in our grace and knowledge and love for Christ. And pray that your Holy Spirit would be at Work in each of our hearts this morning, Lord. Repenting of sin so that we might run after Jesus. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. You know, consider all the circumstances um, in your life that bring about rejoicing. You know, graduation, engagements, weddings. New jobs, the birth of a child or a grandchild, 
you know, we, we readily rejoice when we receive good news of a successful surgery, a good report after a cancer test or, or delivery from harm. You know, th- think about rejoicing. Think about Luke 15. Uh, just to give you an overview, you know, there, there is the rejoicing that took place there. First, when the shepherd found the one lost sheep, then rejoicing again, celebration again, when the woman found the one lost coin, but it climaxes there uh, with the account of the prodigal son who repented of his sins, returned home, and his gracious and generous father heaped honor upon him uh, before he said, these words from Luke fifteen twenty three, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. Tongue in cheek, it said the only one who didn't celebrate that day was the fattened calf. You know, but, but what does it mean to to celebrate? You know, it means to be glad. You know, not not just a, a fleeting happiness. You know, but but a true, a deep, abiding gladness. We rejoice together as a reunited family. There, there is a rejoicing in the Lord together. And so with that in mind, if you're not there already, turn with me to Philippians 3, uh, verse 1. Keep your Bibles open. Again, page 981. We, we commence this chapter with a, a clear call to rejoice But as you follow along in the verses, next we surprisingly hear gospel cautions from the Apostle Paul uh, there in verses 2 and 3. And uh, then this section of of today's sermon closes uh, with a a striking resume of the Apostle Paul's life. Truly, it ought to be said of, of Saul's life. You know, before he came to faith in Christ, there on the road to Damascus. You know, but the first verse of Philippians 3, I believe, sets the tone for this section and for the rest of the chapter and as well for chapter 4. You know, that theme of rejoicing. You know, and as we look at these verses, you know, consider this truth that Christians can rejoice together while still heeding God's gracious cautions. You know, how can we be heeding the Lord's warnings and yet still rejoicing? Simple outline here, it begins with this call to rejoice, and then there are the cautions, and then the conclusion of, of no confidence. In the flesh. We begin there, verse 1, the first part of verse 1, a call to rejoice in the Lord together. Finally, my brothers, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. You know, it's striking that Paul begins with that word finally. You know, we're at the beginning of chapter 3, and uh, we still have one more chapter to go. You know, Paul is not a preacher who gives false hope to the congregation at Philippi, 
You know when a preacher says, and in conclusion, and you think you're ready to sing the last hymn or to partake of communion, you know, why, why that word finally? He's beginning a new section here of gracious gospel teaching. Oh, and and he, he's addressing his, his brothers and sisters in Christ. This is a, a, a glorious truth that we see time and time again in Philippians. You know, there, there is a, a unity in this congregation. You know, he, he refers to his fellow Christians as brothers and sisters, my brothers and sisters. See, you'll see it again in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm, thus in the Lord. You know, so, so this appeal comes from uh, his heart, you know, as well of from his uh, gospel mind as well. You know, re- rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. You know, that, that last little phrase is important. You know, it, it's all one unit. Rejoice. Present tense. Keep on rejoicing. All of you keep on rejoicing in the Lord. You know, don't rejoice in your circumstances. They keep changing. Don't rejoice in your health. You know, don't rejoice in the weather. Rejoice in the Lord. As I've said, it's a theme in these last two chapters. Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. You know, what a great command for us today to to be rejoicing in God's glorious sovereignty and and in his gracious work of salvation. It's not only New Testament, not only here in Philippians, Habakkuk. You know, that that minor prophet, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 18 and 19 Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Rejoice because of your union with the risen Christ. One of the fruits, uh, gospel fruits of a faithful church is Abiding joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we often forget that, especially in the Reformed faith. You know, but here the Apostle Paul, the same Apostle who wrote Romans, you know, tells us here, rejoice. My brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Halleck Motier put it this way, Find your joy in him and in him alone. Find your joy in him and in him alone. That he is our reigning king. He's our returning Lord. He's our redeemer. You know, there's a hymn, thought of a lot of hymns afterwards. Um, Could have sung this morning, but one is Rejoice, the Lord is King. It's in our Trinity Hymnal 310, 
actually 309, 310, two different tunes. But let me read just two verses written by Charles Wesley, you know, one of the great hymn writers. Rejoice, the Lord is king, your Lord and king adore. Rejoice, give thanks, and sing, and triumph evermore. Lift up your heart, lift up your voice, rejoice again, I say, rejoice. And the second verse, Jesus, the Savior, reigns. The God of truth and love, when he had purged our stains, he took his seat above. Lift up your heart, lift up your voice, rejoice again. I say, rejoice. You know, we are to be rejoicing in the Lord. How can Christians rejoice in the Lord together? You don't have to wait till Fat Tuesday to do that. What does it mean to be rejoicing in the Lord together? When we gladly sing for worship. And again, I'm going to encourage all of our church family to be singing. You know, you may think... You know, I have a terrible voice. No one wants to hear me sing. Yes, the Lord wants to hear you sing. You know, we, we gladly rejoice as we sing together in worship when we gratefully pray together. You know, even the Lord's Prayer or following along with the prayer of adoration or the pastoral prayer. You know, we rejoice when we humbly, let joyfully take of the Lord's Supper. Together, when we readily serve the Lord together, you know, whether it's vacation Bible school or helping with the reading buddies at Hope for Opelousas, being a volunteer over here at the Pregnancy Center, taking part in the Christmas Parade outreach, you know, just to name a few, you know, may we all heed this clear gospel call to rejoice in the Lord together. And what's the impact of that? You know, there's a solidarity in Christ when we're rejoicing together. Strength in trials. You know, we, we, we often come to church on Sundays struggling. Well, I just better stay home. I'm tired. It's been a bad week. You know, I'd bring everybody down. No, more and more than ever, you need to be with the Lord's people on the Lord's day rejoicing. You know, and who the Lord is, rejoicing in his love for us in Christ. You know, our rejoicing together as well is a witness to a watching world. You know, look around you this week. Not, not too many people rejoicing. Super Bowl's over. Tax time's coming. You know, but, but we as followers, lovers of Christ, we're to be rejoicing together in the Lord. That's the first truth, but... You know, look again, Philippians 3, the latter part of verse 1. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Here the the Apostle Paul begins a section cautioning Christians at Philippi, cautioning them against Judaizers. He he begins to write the same things to you is no trouble to me, safe to you. It it seems that the Apostle Paul is reminding the Philippians of gospel truths that he has already preached to them, taught them, 
probably when the church was planted there in Philippi before he was imprisoned in Rome. John Calvin put it this way, here he, that is Paul, begins to speak of the false apostles. It's a call to diligence in detecting imposters. And we're going to see firm warnings against Judaizers. That word isn't here in our text. If you're taking notes, J-U-D-A-I-Z-E-R-S. You know, who are the Judaizers? They're, they're legalistic Jewish Christians. They, they taught that God's grace in Christ was not sufficient for your salvation. We need to carry out good works. And, and the central issue here is if, if you're a Christian, especially a male Christian, you must be circumcised. You know, so truly it's a salvation by works, you know, by, by this outward display. And, and so Paul clearly and compassionately cautions the Christians at Philippi three times. You know, uh, just in that, that one verse, you'll see that word, look out. It, it's a command given to the church. Beware. Keep your eyes open. Um, so that you might detect these imposters, these false apostles. You know, when he begins with the strongest one, look out for the dogs. You know, today we think of dogs, house pets, sleep on the bed. I think my wife would let our dogs sleep under the covers, use my pillow. But uh, dogs back then were, were not that way. You know, the, these were street dogs, all, almost like wolves, you know, traveling together in packs, eating any food they could find. And it was usually the Jews who called the Gentiles dogs. You know, you're unclean. But now Paul calls these Judaizers dogs. Calvin again puts it this way, dogs who assailed true doctrine with their impure barking, barking their false doctrines, maybe even growling a bit. Look out for these these dogs. Secondly, look out for the evildoers, the, the workers of iniquity. You know, they they labor, you know, their work is to spark spiritual unrest in the church family. Doctrinal division, discord. Third and finally, look out for those who mutilate the the flesh. Again, strong language here. You know, think of circumcision. They're not, you know, to to speak plainly here, you know, they're, they're not... Gently, graciously, you know, performing that rite of circumcision, they are mutilating the flesh. You know, they're they're bloody butchers. You know, to give you a little taste of it, you know, read a verse from First Kings chapter eighteen. This is when Elijah is confronting the priests of Baal. 
And the priests of Baal are growing desperate at this point. And uh, the Lord sending down fire upon their sacrifice. And we read this, 1 Kings 18.28. These are the followers of Baal. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. Self-mutilation, bloody self-mutilation. And that, that's the idea here. Look out for those who, who mutilate the flesh. You know, we'll see, soon see it's a sharp spiritual disagreement over what scripture teaches about circumcision. You'll read that as well in Galatians, 2 Corinthians, Book of Acts. You know, the Jewish Christians sought to mislead the Gentile Christians by teaching that all Christians must be circumcised to be saved, trusting in God's grace alone for your salvation, sinners saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's not enough. You've got to do this work. And if you want to write down a cross-reference, won't um, preach two sermons, Acts chapter 15. Now that the Jerusalem Council you know, there was still that ongoing discussion, and they, they, they wisely, prayerfully deliberated and came to that resolution, say, no, when you become a Christian, you do not have to be circumcised. You know, and a few other issues along the way, eating meat with blood, sexual immorality as well. You know, it's still an issue today, not so much about circumcision, Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone is not enough. You, you have to do this work. You must be baptized to be saved. We believe in Christian baptism. You know, but the thief on the cross, repentant thief, you know, went to glory without being baptized. Today you will be with me in paradise. There are others who say, well, you must attend church, you know, during Lent, Good Friday, Easter. If you really want to be saved, have assurance of salvation, you have to be in church. I think it's a good thing to be in church, but church attendance, church membership does not save us. Some Christians even say, well, it's the version of the Bible. You know, you only can use the King James version of the Bible. If you use any other version, you're you're a heretic. Uh, I've been through that conversation uh, with a family member. You know, but you know, here here Paul cautions us against these Judaizers, and and, and now look at verse three. We we see the flip side from these firm cautions to faithful worship. You know, we read, for we are the circumcision. You know, remember, circumcision was a covenant sign given by God. You know, that, that we indeed are the true seed of Abraham. You know, true circumcision. You know, Romans chapter 2, verse 28 and 29 puts it this way. Romans 2, verse 28 
For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. You know, true circumcision, it's not so much about the physical right, you know, but, but it's you know, being set apart for, for the Lord, living by his grace, living for his glory, still living in loving obedience to the Lord. But, but look now at, at faithful worship. You know, what a stark contrast with Philippians 3 verse 2. You know, three, three marks of this faithful worship. First, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who, who worship the Lord together, you know, by his Holy Spirit. We, we worship God in spirit and in truth, as Jesus taught us. Secondly, and I think this is the most striking one to me, and glory in Christ Jesus, and glory in Christ Jesus. You know, what does it mean to glory in Christ Jesus? You boast about Jesus. You, you readily tell others that, that Jesus is your Savior, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he gave, imputed his righteousness to you, that you are clean from your sins by the cleansing blood of Christ you you glory in Christ Jesus you rejoice in Christ Jesus you know and both names are important that he is Christ he is the son of god and that he is Jesus the savior of sinners you know there's the gospel in, in one little phrase you know we we glory in, in Christ Jesus almost reminds us well it reminds me of of Westminster Shorter Catechism, question one. You know, what's the chief end of man? To glo- you can say it with me. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. You know, that, that's what God calls us to do, to glorify him. You know, in all of life. Not only in our worship, but in our work, our everyday witness. Cause for rejoicing. And and then third and finally there with worship and put no confidence in the flesh. You know, we do not rest in the works of our own flesh for salvation. We can't earn our salvation. We don't merit our salvation. You, You can't climb the ladder to heaven. We put no confidence in the flesh, and that, that's a hard thing for us, a humbling thing. But why? You know, God gets all the glory for our salvation, for it's all of him. You know, in Paul's day and still today, Christians still struggle to heed gospel cautions. You know, we, you know I grew up in the 70s. You didn't like to follow the rules. You know, too often we're like King Saul. Just summarize the account from 1 Samuel chapter 13. Um, 
Saul the king was waiting for Samuel the prophet to arrive to offer uh, sacrifices there on the altar. You know, the seven days came. They hadn't passed, but seven days came, and Saul grew impatient in waiting for Samuel. You know, he plunged ahead. He disregarded Samuel's instructions and and really disregarded God's instructions. And he offered the sacrifice. And as soon as he offered the sacrifice, what happened? Samuel showed up in, in God's timing. And what was the result? Samuel told Saul this, 1 Samuel 13, 14, but now your kingdom shall not continue. You know, there, there, there are gospel consequences when we don't heed God's gospel cautions. You know, but they're, they're loving cautions. They're, they're not meant to restrict our, our lives and take all the, suck all the joy out. You know, they're, they're cautions given to protect us, cause us to prosper in our walk of faith. Just an application, the default mode, I've heard this for Christians, is legalism. You know, salvation by good works. Yes, there should be fruits of our faith in Christ. There's, there's no doubt about that. You know, but, and one of those fruits is we are to be faithful worshipers of the Lord. And I say this in a Presbyterian church, joyful worshipers of the Lord. You know, the joy of salvation, the joy of forgiveness of sins, the joy of knowing that God has prepared for us a home in glory with him. You know, so first there is the call to rejoicing. And secondly, we looked at the cautions against Judaizers. Finally, verses 4 through 6 no confidence in the flesh. Apostle Paul here um, boldly, you know, it's not pride, but he plainly proclaims to the church at Philippi, you know, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. In verses 5 through 6, Paul states his fleshly assets, you know, before he came to saving faith in Christ there on the road to Damascus, in other, way, in other words, he's telling them, if anyone could be saved by works, it, w- it would have been me. And, and look at the, the seven things, and we'll, we'll zip through these as best we can, but they're all important. You know, first he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. You know, that was following God's clear commands, Genesis 17, 12. Keep in mind, too, Jesus was baptized on the eighth day, Luke 2, 21. Secondly, he was of the people of Israel. Paul was born a Jew. He was not a proselyte. Third, he's of the tribe of Benjamin. You know, next to the tribe of Judah, Benjamin's right up there. Benjamin was the beloved youngest son of Jacob, the son of Rachel. And as well, you know, after Israel split, northern kingdom, southern kingdom, southern kingdom, largely Judah, Benjamin joined with Judah. 
circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, fourth, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I'm the purest of the pure. You know, I'm, I'm the cream on the top. Fifth, as to the law of Pharisee. The Pharisees were the most strict and law-abiding sect of Judaism. You know, they would memorize huge portions of the law. And they, you know, for their free time, maybe even for their fun, they would discuss it and debate it. They were staunch defenders of the Mosaic law. You know, they even believed in resurrection, but as we know, the problem with the Pharisees, they hated Jesus. They opposed Christ. Sixth, Paul writes, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Acts 7, Saul, before he was Paul, Saul witnessed the stoning of Stephen. You know, imagine that. First Christian martyr, you can say, well, I, I saw it happen. What did I do? I just held everyone's coats. Why did he do that? Because, you know, Saul regarded Christians as false teachers. Finally, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. You know, this is a climatic statement. You know, a a works righteousness. And it's like the rich young ruler, you know, from all outward indications, Saul perfectly kept the law. But why did he keep it? Because he thought if you perfectly kept the law, you would be saved. Sinclair Ferguson puts it this way in his great little study book, Let's Study Philippians. In many ways, the idea of being superior, of being able to boast in high achievements is the hallmark of false teaching. A little bit of sting in that statement. You know, just now coming to a close, finally. You know, I know, you know, in my heart that I can be prone to pride as, as a, a minister of the gospel. You know, a little bit of background, in case you hadn't heard the, the story. I was born and raised in a Presbyterian home and in a Presbyterian church, went to a Christian college by God's providence. That's where Lynn and I met. Seminary studies under great reformed professors. I mean, they, they were the best of the best. So grateful for the education I received there, but it would be easy to be proud about it. I studied under... I was licensed and ordained in the Presbyterian Church in America and received into the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church, our denomination, got examined to come into Catawba Presbytery, got examined uh, to come into Mississippi Valley Presbytery just the other week. They asked one question. do you believe in uh, the Westminster Confession? 
and all as our standard of faith without reservation? Yes? Okay. We, 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 we vote you in. I've pastored five churches in 32 years. You know, and, and it's tempting to put confidence in the flesh. You know, preachers included. You know, but it's tempting to rejoice in our family heritage. My parents were strong Christians. I was raised in this church. Are our own self-righteousness, you know, I've been pretty good compared to that person over there. I'm a whole lot better than they are. You know, but but hear this foretaste of, of next Sunday's message. You know, Philippians 4, 7 through 9, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. You know, what are takeaways here? Now, finally, my brothers, brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. You know, in a sin-fallen world all around us filled with ranting and raging, you know, may we as humble followers of Christ Jesus gladly and gratefully be rejoicing in the Lord together, the God who has graciously saved us from our sins by the death of Christ on the cross for our sins, his resurrection from the grave. There's an unfailing reason for rejoicing. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you. We thank you that we can rejoice in the Lord. Father, forgive us when we grumble complain about temporal things. Lord, um, may we, as your redeemed children, may we, as your beloved church, be always rejoicing in the Lord, not only as we gather for worship on the Lord's day, but may we be rejoicing in the Lord Monday through Saturday until that day when you come again or call us home to glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.